1: the things that I love about this incredible platform is all of the amazing people that we get to connect with, the new relationships that we get to form, the people in our lives that we had no idea we needed in our lives until they arrived. And one of those people is a guy by the name of Mark Brackett. And so I did not know of Mark Brackett uh, previously. And after doing some research, on this gentleman I am super excited that we're gonna be bringing him here to the stage right here in breakfast with champions and I'm telling you I am telling you <laughs> you are about to have your socks blown off so strap in hit that plus sign in the bottom right hand corner of your screen now listen I normally don't do full long bios on folks but this dude mark you've got to know what he's up to so let me give you a little background in history on my man Mark who just joined us here on um, Breakfast of Champions. So Mark Brackett is the founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and a professor in the Child Study Center, the Yale School of Medicine at Yale University. I'm assuming you guys know where Yale is, right? Flash your mics if you've ever heard of Yale University. Have you ever heard of that? All right, we got the mic flashes. Okay, 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 okay. All right. <clears throat> now, He's also uh, he has he does grant funded re- grant funded research in the role of emotions and emotional intelligence in learning decision making creativity relationship quality and mental health the measurement of emotional intelligence and the influences of emotional intelligence training on children's and adults' health performance and workplace performance and climate we're talking about a guy that has numerous. Awards has published over 125 scholarly articles. He's also a distinguished scientist on the National Commission of Social, Emotional, and Academic Development and the lead developer of a strategy called RULER, which is a systemic, evidence based approach to social and emotional learning that has been now adopted by over 2,000 public, charter, and private preschools through high school across the united states not to mention australia china england italy mexico and spain (laughs) and that's only a part of his bio that's not even all of the bio and what i love most is we're going to get to have a conversation around e i emotional intelligence which my friends i know a lot of people are focused on a i artificial intelligence but i think this is far more important mark welcome to the breakfast with champion stage it is an honor and a privilege to have you here sir
0: Mark. (laughs)
2: I
3: <laughs> tell him to unmute. I don't know if he's ever been on Clubhouse. I, have
2: been a, I am here. Hello. How are you?
0: I'm oh, great. How are you?
2: <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. After a year and a half uh, living through a pandemic in Zoom, that I didn't take myself off mute. So I apologize.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, number one phrase used in the last two years is "you're on mute," right?
2: Yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. <laughs>
1: Mark, you have an incredible journey and have done tons and tons and tons of research and make it a massive impact in the world of emotional intelligence. And I would love to hear from you why this is such a passion of yours and how you got involved in this particular area and field of growth and study.
2: Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> We've got 53 minutes. Wow. Okay. Well, then maybe I can give the uh, the medium-length story. Um Well, firstly, it's exciting to be with you on this uh, on Clubhouse and to to get to talk about my work with all these fascinating people. Um, Just to be blunt, um, and this is, you know, I wrote a book last year called Permission to Feel, where I, for the first time in my career, talked about my childhood. Um, Because people ask you all the time, like, why do you study emotional intelligence, you know? And I used to say things like, well, I hated school, you know, I was bullied. Um, but the truth is, I had quite a lot of trauma in my childhood. um I was abused very sadly by a neighbor, and um I was basically um threatened by this person that if I shared anything that was going on, I would be harmed, my family would be harmed you know and I know that's a lot to hear up front, Glenn, but um you know so many of us have different stories, you know um my story is that kind of traumatic one and my point really was that I was trapped with my feelings. You know, I was feeling anger and disgust and fear and the list goes on, but I had no place to go with those feelings, you know, and I see people I'm in my fifties now and thank God I've gone through a lot of healing. Um, you know, I see people all over the workforce who, you know, have different stories of course, but don't really believe they have the permission to be their true full feeling selves, with their partners, with their kids, you know, with their colleagues. And so I have this mission, right, to uh, create an emotion revolution so that everyone has that permission to feel.
1: I love that, man. I love that. And I appreciate you being uh, authentic and raw and real and sharing that with us. Uh, Can we dive in a little bit? So giving people permission to feel uh, strikes up in my mind, like, why? Why do we feel like we don't have that permission? Why? Why is it that most of us will not allow ourselves to feel these things? Where does that come from?
2: It comes from everywhere. Honestly, I mean, I think, you know, if we're going to be, you know, US focused for a minute, um, we see, especially men, you know, who have feelings as being weak, right? How could I be a director of, people ask me all the time during this pandemic, they're like, Mark, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm a mess. And they're like, you're a mess, but you're the director of a center for emotional intelligence. (laughs) That's okay. Like, that's my professional life. But like, I'm just letting you know, like leading a team of 60 people from my kitchen counter is not easy. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And I'm going to just be honest with you, I'm anxious and worried about things. And then, but the problem here is that people equate having feelings with not being able to deal with feelings. And what I'm here to tell you is that there's no correlation, meaning that you can be someone who experiences a lot of anger. There's a lot of reasons to be angry right now in our country. There's a lot of reasons to be worried and anxious. It doesn't mean that those feelings have to have power over your everyday functioning, and that's why there's a whole curriculum that I have, you know, both in schools and for the workforce to teach people the skills of emotional intelligence. Yeah. I love that, man. And so let's, let's talk about this particular
1: season. So you've been studying this and, and doing research and leading and teaching on this for how, for, for how long, how, how many years have you been in this field?
2: So I've been a professor at Yale now for 20 years, which is hard to imagine. <laughs> right. And, um, but I started, you know, one thing that I didn't share earlier when you asked a little bit about the history is I was blessed in life with all the trauma and abuse and bullying I had, I had an uncle who was a teacher in the Catskill Mountains of New York State who was uh, my hero. And he happened to be developing a curriculum back in the 70s to teach kids about feelings and happened to be getting a degree, uh, a master's degree in the hometown where I was and would stay with us on the weekends. And when I was around 12 years old, I'm just going to say this right now, he asked me that, Simple, but yet profound question. He looked at me like no one had ever looked at me before. And he said, Mark, how are you feeling? But really, how are you feeling? And he was the first person, you know, that I disclosed everything that was going wrong with me about. And he didn't say, get some grit. He didn't say, you know, toughen up like my father would have said. He said, we're going to get through this together. And I put that out there right now because I just think it's so important that we all um, are uncle Marvin's for our families and our colleagues because we need people we are social creatures and um, yeah I'll stop there for now no I love that man and uh,
1: you know when you when you share that story of your uncle Marvin I can like I can feel it I can feel it with you (laughs) like you're re like you're reliving it what an impactful um, um, moment so in your years of study and understanding Mm -hmm. and maybe we need to back up just a little bit can can can, in case there's uh, people in the room that that don't necessarily know what emotional intelligence is can you break down what is emotional intelligence and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit deeper
2: Yeah, I want to start off by saying what it's not because so many people um, because of the way it's been popularized in, you know, press, think of it as um, I'll give you one example. I was doing a a keynote for a Fortune 500 company and the CEO of the company came up and he's like, you know, before, you know, I'm just going to mark, you know, I'm going to tell you what emotional intelligence is. I'm like, sure. (laughs) He says. Obviously it's about charisma and I was like, sorry, that's not emotional intelligence. Um, I think so many people think of it as a personality trait. Um, and what our science says is that it's about how we reason with our emotions. So the model that I've been working on for now 25 years is called ruler. And ruler is a set of skills of recognizing emotions in face, body, voice, understanding the causes and consequences of our feelings, having the language to describe our feelings, knowing how and when to express our feelings, and having the skills and strategies to regulate them effectively. Beautiful. And that's that, That's called RULER, right? That's that system? It's the acronym that describes these five skills. Um, so how and we so reason I'm, with our feelings, it's recognizing. So like being self-aware and other aware. Okay. It's again, understanding. So if I were to ask you, Glenn, and I'm not going to don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm going to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I what's the psychological difference between anger and disappointment?
1: What is the psychological difference between anger and disappointment? um when my dad was angry at me it was an outwardly thing when he was disappointed it seemed more of an inwardly thing
2: okay that's probably good that's good i mean it makes sense but what is the difference in what makes someone feel angry versus disappointed
1: the amount of care or love that they have for that person the connection within the relationship
2: could be. But do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, which I am, and I apologize. No, I can't. It. Um, it's like it's not that simple to like on the top of your you know, head say, OK, you know, um, anger is about injustice and disappointment is about unmet expectations, ah. you know, which is the core difference. But yet we know, you know, I come into the office and I'm like, you know, Glenn, I can't take it anymore. And you think, oh, Mark's angry but I might not be angry, I might be feeling shame, I might be feeling disappointment, Um, but I've been taught by society that the only way I get attention is to look like I'm angry. And so I think it's a huge issue for our work, which is that people's outwardly behavior doesn't correlate with their inner experience, but we judge people by their outwardly behavior. And we make assumptions that we know how people are feeling by the way they talk and by the way they behave. And this is why emotional intelligence is so important because it it stops us and it says, wait a minute, am I attributing emotion to this person or do I really know how they feel?
1: Mm. Yeah, so it's really asking that question. Like, am I, am I projecting or have I really taken the time to understand, right?
2: Correct. And that's the thing. We're not, you know, we're not Uncle Marvin. So we tend to, you know, we're in the office. Hey, how's it going? Fine. We move on. You know, we don't really take time to process each other's facial expressions, body language, vocal tones. We don't really take the time to ask people that question. Like, Glenn, ask me. You didn't even ask me. How am I, Ask me how I'm feeling today.
1: How are you feeling today, Mark? Fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ask me again if you don't mind, Glenn.
1: No, Mark, how are you feeling today?
2: Honestly, Glenn, you know, I'm trying this new workout and this new diet, and I'm like, Tired, a little bit bloated, I'm irritable, and honestly, with everything that's going on, it's like this odd mixture of anxiety and despair. Mm. And he's like, "Oh shit! Like, why did I invite Mark on my, you know, <laughs> <house?"> <laughs> <laughs> right?" It's like, "Oh no! Like, I, I just say fine, so I can go to work, and you can go to work, and we can just move on." Mm. Um, do you see what I'm getting at?
1: I do. I do and uh, we created this culture where you know we the 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 how are you doing how are you feeling and then the quick response and and we move on and that culture that we've created isn't really getting to the depths or allowing people to feel which is why you wrote a book giving people permission to feel right am i am i am i putting the piece you, you,
2: you know it's funny because you know I was in. I ended up. I have a very good agent. I have a good publisher. Um, but um, when I was proposing the title of my book, "Permission to Feel," they were not happy with it um, because, like, I don't know. I don't. You know, this is a group of of business people, right, and professionals. And they're like, I don't see somebody in the airport, you know, going on the, their plane, picking up a book called "Permission to Feel." I think you should just go with the the obvious, more called "Emotionally Intelligent Leadership." And I'm like, I am not calling my book that. That is like way too superficial because I the purpose behind, you know, my book and the work I do is that we can't be afraid to talk about feelings. And we have to recognize that most of us have grown up in a society where we don't have the permission to be our true, fulfilling selves. And you know, I see, you know, that we have a very diverse group here and I just want to call out you know, in our society, race plays a major factor in permission to feel. You know, I'm a white guy who is a professor at an Ivy League university, and I've got the permission to kind of feel and express emotions however way I want to do. So if I were a black male in our society right now, the rules are different for me. And it's so important to call that out because it tells us that permission to feel is not something that we are um, have to strive for on our own. It's saying that these skills of emotional intelligence are community and society driven and that until our society accepts and um, understands that everyone deserves the permission to express and be their true fulfilling selves, we're not doing the work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally feel that, Mark.
1: So let's go back in time just a little bit. obviously, sure. we're in this current pandemic season uh you've been in this field for a long time uh what are what are you seeing as far as is it has it progressed over the last twenty years? Do we have better emotional intelligence is in the midst of this pandemic is it is it is it worse with the with the disconnection or like mm-hmm. what do you what are you, What are you seeing and feeling culturally when it comes to uh the world of emotional intelligence as it's transitioned over the last twenty years?
2: I would say you know the last year and a half what I've seen is that this horrific set of crises in our country and the world have actually created an opportunity because I think finally a lot of people are realizing, oh my goodness, I've got a lot of feelings. You know I'm a father I'm a lawyer I'm also my son's co-teacher I'm also my daughter's you know um, coach I'm also cleaning the cafeteria worker in our house I'm also the tech coordinator the custodian (laughs) Mm
4: -hmm.
2: (laughs) you know like mark you know like I never knew I had so many feelings and I don't know what to do I'm gonna lose it I'm not used to working from home and having all these roles and um, and so I always say you know when life is good and you're on the beach drinking you know your rum and Coke or your pina colada, whatever it is, on vacation, you know, nobody's thinking about emotional intelligence. But when you're activated, you know, when you are in a crisis, you're in a pandemic, all of a sudden, people realize, oh my goodness, like, I don't have strategies to deal with my feelings, I need help. And I would say that I've seen a lot of that. And while I'm not happy at all that we have had so many crises, I'm really um happy that people are finally taking the deeper skills seriously
1: yeah i think that i can um i can can totally receive that right like it's a really crazy interesting season but we've kind of been forced to uh, look at our own thoughts our own our own feelings and i think in self-reflection uh maybe it's it's tuning us in to understand that other people feel, too. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we also, feel. you know, like we have to give, you know, again, this is emotional intelligence is not something that you want to be selfish about. Right. This is a, these are interpersonal skills, you know, and I mean, I ask people all the time, like, how authentic are you with your loved ones? Are you able to be your true, full feeling self with your husband, wife, your partner? And people, you know, start getting a little nervous around me, then they're like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know. like it's like, it's hard to be true and honest, you know, they want they won't want to be with me anymore. If I tell them the truth, right. <laughs> and I say, but like, so you're going to go through life, not being authentic. What's missing from your relationship? What's missing, you know, in terms of, you know, the fears that you have, um, about being authentic and real with your partner. and. You know, we're just not taught these skills early in life enough. And so we grow older and we have bad habits. And then in many instances, I think, you know, we just suppress and deny or displace or project, as you said earlier, as opposed to truly feel and communicate. So how do we start to break out of this, Mark? Like,
1: how do we start to allow ourselves to, to feel, I understand recognizing feelings in others. And and, and so how do we, how do we start to allow ourselves to be authentic and to really uh, express how we feel?
2: So, you know, in my book, I talk about, we have to strive to be emotion scientists as opposed to emotion judges. And so what that means is that we need to build that curiosity around feeling our own feelings and other people's feelings. Asking ourselves that question when we wake up in the morning, yeah, Mark, how are you feeling today? Um, but really ask the question and really think about it. Don't just say fine or blah or meh you know, get granular, get specific, am I frustrated? am I overwhelmed? I'll give you one example. so when I was going up for a tenure as a professor back about a decade ago, um I had heartburn um I was like I was just a mess, and I went to my doctor and i'm you know I said you know i'm not, I think I'm stressed out i'm I got such you know, whatever. And he goes, Oh, this is what it's like for all professors here. Here's your Ativan for your anxiety. And here's your Prilosec for your, you know, your anxiety or your heartburn. And I said, that's it. He's like, yeah, this is, you know, give it a couple months, you know, once you get passed through, you'll be fine. And I said, but like, do you know my, I'm like the director of the center for emotional intelligence. <laughs> 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 like this isn't cool. Like there's something dismissive about my whole experience where you're just giving me two drugs to deal with all my issues. <laughs> And it was a really rough conversation for me. And so I left that conversation and I took a walk and I'm like, Mark, like what the hell is going on for you? And I literally started asking myself the question, am I stressed? Well, stress is having too many demands and not enough resources. No, I'm actually not stressed. All right. Are you afraid? No, there's no danger. I'm not stressed. I'm not afraid. Are you anxious? Well, anxiety is about uncertainty. Well, you know, Mark, you got a great resume. You've done the grant writing. You've got the whatever, just you're not really. You're pretty much certain you're going to get the professorship. Okay, I'm not anxious. Well, the, how the heck am I feeling? And then all of a sudden I had an epiphany that I was overwhelmed. Like I was just endlessly working. I gave myself no breaks at 11 o'clock at night. I'd be on my, you know, couch typing emails. And I realized that I needed to give myself some freedom. And as soon as I gave myself that permission to like not do emails all night long, or, you know, I scheduled my mindfulness, I scheduled my yoga. I was like, I was scheduled I, on paper. I look like the most healthy person, the most productive person in the world. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, this is a long story to get to the point, which is that once I named my experience, I was able to do something about it. And I don't think that we have taught people how to be emotionally self aware in that way. I think that's beautiful,
1: man. And um did 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 the did the world come crashing down? Did everything end when you didn't did you handle your emails? When you didn't respond no I to was actually know?
2: happier. I got to watch yeah. the voice in America's Got Talent at night instead of. Being <laughs> <on stupid email. laughs>
1: wow, that's amazing. The world didn't crumble. It, it all didn't come to an end. The sun still came up the next day. I think that's now, the sun is still work.
2: standing and the papers are still getting written. And, the, you know, the trainings are still happening. But I'm you know, I have more balance and it was a real eye opener for me. Now, of course, like right now, I'm not so overwhelmed. I am a little anxious about, you know, return to work, and everybody's freaked out about going back in person, and we have to deal with all that stuff. But again, name it. What is the feeling? And then you can try to apply the strategies that will work best to support you in solving that particular challenge.
1: I think that's incredibly helpful, and my guess is there are Quite a few people in the room who have experienced uh, that feeling of overwhelm, uh, and uh, I definitely can relate with having, you know, the schedule, the the time blocking to the T <laughs> and looking incredibly healthy on paper, uh, but not necessarily experiencing the uh, the the the, uh, the the joy that comes from truly being aligned, right? And 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 truly being healthy and always mind body spirit all the way across the board, and so with with that, Mark, uh, what I would like to do at this point, if it's okay, is um, I would love. So, well, actually, how
2: how are you feeling right now, Mark? You're doing okay. Thank you for asking, Glenn. Uh, And I first I'm I'm (laughs) yeah I'm totally not practicing because I didn't even obviously I don't care about how you feel because I didn't even ask you how you feel. (laughs) So, um, you know, welcome to the narcissistic society we're in. Um, I'm doing, actually, I feel yeah, this is fun. I'm really enjoying this. And um, so I'm feeling uh, at ease and um, comfortable and, you know, excited to talk with you. How about you? How are you doing? I, 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 I'm
1: doing great, Mark. I am uh, really loving this portion of the interview. I am just a little bit feeling my kids are running around outside the door because I'm getting ready to take my daughter to Disney World today. That and, sounds dumb. Like uh, yeah, and it's just me and Hertz, the first time the two of us have run solo. So, a little bit of apprehension because I got to get her to the airport and I got to make sure to bring her back, right? I can't lose her at <laughs> Disney World. That would be really, really bad. So, a little apprehension around that, uh, but I'm excited about it. And at the same time, I want to make sure. Uh, I'm feeling as though there are many people in this room that could benefit through having conversation with you as well, and so I don't want to take up all of the space, and so what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you, is allow some members of our audience and some um, some people that are here on the stage to kind of ask you some questions, and I will also have my friend Sarah McCord, who's sitting right next to me. I'll allow her to kind of help moderate and grab who's who's asking questions, those types of things that we can kind of move on this side, too. And I can keep the kids uh, um, from getting too crazy And Sounds so great. before I, I uh, hand it off, though, I would like to uh, let everybody where can we go get your bookmark or how's the best way we can support you and connect you with you? Uh, I'd like to make sure we share that before we dive into the questions
2: of course um and of course now that i have construction going on my house and now they're starting to drill so i'm moving around (laughs) um well my website is the easiest it's just mark bracket m-a-r-c bracket b-r-a-c-k-e-t-t dot com and my book pops up and obviously it's on amazon and all those booksellers it's just permission to feel and i'll also say that i'm the co-founder of a company called og life lab o-j-i life lab where we do training um, and support for businesses around the globe. Companies like Johnson & Johnson and Kohler, um, <clears throat> Pinterest and other employees that, um, other companies that we work with.
1: Perfect. I love it. You guys heard it here first. Head on over to Amazon, grab a copy of Mark's book. We can support him that way. Make sure you connect with him and follow him here on Clubhouse as well. He's doing a lot of great work all of humanity and we want to make sure that we're supporting that and uh, let's open it up to some questions Sarah do you mind to moderate here a little bit
3: no I'm happy to I'm actually going to ask the first question and then I want to go to Dora Maria who we are so grateful actually brought you to us Mark and I know she read your book and is a super fan and then I see Tamara and we'll go from there so great. Mark I'm so excited to speak with you one question I have for you is I feel like Um, we've been hearing a lot in this interview about almost what feels to me kind of like the internal work of letting yourself um, feel your feelings and express them. But I'm almost wondering externally, almost how do you identify those people who are a safe landing place for you? And then the second part of that question, how do you externally be that person who makes other people feel that they can express themselves in your presence?
2: It's a really cool question I appreciate it. And it's funny because I ha- I, if I were to write my next book, it would be called Be an Uncle Marvin, um, because it's getting at exactly those characteristics, you know, that you're asking about, Sarah. And so I've actually done this at a research study where I ask people to reflect on, you know, the people in their lives who were their Uncle Marvins. And the top characteristic is compassion. Then comes empathy. Then comes vulnerability. Then comes um, other things like um, good listener, um, accepting, supportive, and so truthfully, you know, it's a it's a lot of discernment, discernment, you know, that we have to go through to find those people that we can connect with, who we can be our true, full selves with. Um, And so that means, you know, and maybe we can just do a little, can we do a little exercise with everybody? Absolutely. Cool. So I'd like for everyone to just take a moment and just think about that question. Did you have an Uncle Marvin? Was there a parent, a teacher, a coach, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle who gave you that permission to be your true, full feeling self? And if there was someone, you know, how would you describe them? What characteristics did they have? You know, it's funny, Sarah. I've asked this to like hundreds of thousands of people now over the last couple of years. And. Um, I would say about 50 percent say, you know, I didn't have an Uncle Marvin, as a matter of fact, when I was on my book tour, I met with Jane Fonda and um, She said to me an uncle, an Uncle Marvin, are you kidding me? You know, my father was a narcissist, my mother had serious mental health problems. I had nobody. You know, I read books in a closet, you know, to give me permission to feel. And so, you know, it's sad to me. It's also National Suicide Prevention Week. um, and I think about how many people are sending signals to the world about their suffering and nobody's noticing. And people are so uncomfortable having that conversation, you know, because they're afraid of someone who has a mental health challenge or is anxious or depressed. And so um, yeah, we got a lot of work to do, Sarah, to um, to create a world where all feelings are valued.
3: You know, Mark, I, I saw you um, tweet about that uh, when I was reading this morning. Um, and I, it's, it's incredible actually, because this topic came up earlier, um, on stage as well. And I was just wondering actually, before I pass the mic to Dora Maria, if you could make any recommendation to anyone on stage, how they could be um supportive of someone who's struggling to have that permission to feel if there's something they could say it's something they could do i know you said empathy and compassion but i don't know are there certain maybe words that you suggest people do or times when they approach someone who might be struggling just because i feel like that's such an important topic
2: yeah i think the first is just be present you know the one thing that differentiated my uncle Marvin from everybody else was his facial expressions, his body language, his vocal tones. You know, he was fully present. And so that means that we, the people who are gonna support other people have to be able to, you know, do those exercises in breathing or mindfulness to 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 bring our activation levels down so that we can be, you know, that uncle Marvin. And then the second is, don't be afraid to explore feelings. It's okay to ask someone how they're feeling. And if they tell you they're worried or they're anxious or they're scared, don't run away, right? Say it's understandable. Validate every feeling and then see what kind of challenge the person is having. Find out the reason for that feeling. And then potentially you can find the support systems you know that they need.
3: I also have to tell you, I love that so much because I had an, an Uncle Marvin. That was his name. Like, it's not just like, is there an Uncle Marvin in your life? His name was actually Uncle Marvin. Are you serious? I feel warm. Yes. So <laughs> I feel like warm every time you say that. Oh,
2: um, that's
3: amazing. Dora so Maria, I know that you read Permission to Feel and are the one who connected us with Marks. So I wanted to come to you um, for any questions you might want to ask.
5: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Mark, for agreeing to come on. Yeah, thank you. I I knew you would love it. I knew they would love you here. Um, In the final um, chapters of your book, you do mention some strategies for emotional health, um, like taking the meta moments to reset, et cetera. I don't know if you want to talk to that, but I'm also curious about your conversation with Brene Brown, because she has a book that I also really liked a lot, is Dare to Lead. So I see a lot of intersections with your work and her work about yeah. the vulnerability piece so if you can speak to that that would be super amazing
2: sure um i think you know the first going to the you know brene's work um i'm a full believer in that idea of vulnerability what i think is important to mention though is that um it's hard to be your true full feeling self with people you know here I am, a professor of psychology, you have 25 years of research experience, and I had never shared publicly, you know, about my sexual abuse in my childhood because I wasn't sure how I would handle it. I wasn't sure how the world would handle it. And for whatever reason, you know, I was 49 when I finished writing my book. Um, I felt like, you know what, now I can be my true self. And so I want to be I want to be really clear with people that there's a level of readiness that is important critically important you know for being vulnerable you don't want to put yourself out there too soon because you got to have this you know i wasn't prepared for what would happen you know um or what i'm saying is i needed to be prepared you know i had friends who've known me for 25 years 30 40 years who didn't know my story and they read my book and they're hysterical crying and they're calling me how come you never told me um and then i've also received like literally tens of thousands of emails from people around the globe um just thanking me for being open and honest so that they can you know learn some strategies and tools so they can feel free again um so please you know vulnerability i think is super important you have to develop the skills of emotional intelligence if you're going to be vulnerable because a you got to be able to deal with your own feelings and there, what happens when you're vulnerable but and Secondly, you have to be a good discerner um of who you talk to and how you share it because there's a skill in that as well. Does that make sense, Dora?
5: A thousand percent, yes.
2: Yeah, I just think people underestimate that. You know, it's like you can't just open up your heart right away. You gotta be careful and and I'm not saying be, you know, cautious for your whole life. I'm saying develop the skills and make some predictions, you know about what might happen and think about how you're going to manage it and also be really careful um, and find those Uncle Marvin's, you know, that you can connect with.
3: It's so fascinating, actually, because Rachel D'Alto was interviewed um, in this segment, two segments prior today. She just wrote a book called Relatable, and she said something very similar. She said, you know, that first interaction with someone is a first date. You're not married. Um, And it literally made me think of that. Um, I know that Tamara and Tara had a question, and then I'm going to look down towards the other side of our breakfast table and make sure everyone gets a chance. Miss Tamra. Thank you so much for this segment, it's incredible. I think um,
6: emotional intelligence is is such an incredible conversation and something I've been studying for the last couple of years um, in my personal deep dive. And the one book that really stuck out to me was this idea of EQ3, which was understanding that emotional intelligence is personal, relational and environmental, and what those look like in a conjunctive state together and how they operate. Um, I had never thought, and obviously relational, you think of the, the racial piece is really important. I, I studied Be the Bridge, which is pursuing God's heart for racial reconciliation, um, because I think that there's such power in a collective, you know, being, which is why this room that you took note of so quickly is so powerful. One area that I feel like they're missing when they're talking about this concept of EQ3 is spirituality. And so I'm curious where you feel like spirituality or faith fits into the EQ3 or just emotional intelligence as a whole. Thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you for that question. Um well firstly, uh, just to be fully honest and I I'm, I'm Jewish and um the I'm a I'm a Jubu I guess they call me. Um and <laughs> meaning I'm um, I'm also um deeply interested in Buddhism and Eastern philosophies. But um my um my point for mentioning that is that Emotional intelligence is for people of all backgrounds um, you know oftentimes, even like with concepts like mindfulness, people say, "Oh, that's an Eastern philosophical you know thing. I'm like, no, wait a minute, people who are Jewish, people who are Muslim, people who are Christian Catholic, the list goes on, everybody is born you know with a heart, and everyone's born with lungs, and we breathe um and you know our nervous systems are our nervous system, so i see emotional intelligence for everyone i think what's also important is that there's no correctness with emotional intelligence so we're so used to in traditional content areas like in school like math three plus three equals six and you have to memorize this bacteria in high school science class but when it comes to like the things that i need meaning mark brackets that i need to help me to deal with my relationship challenges or my frustration or anger or anxiety the things that I might say to myself the spiritual things that I might do are for me to decide Um, and there's no judgment the only thing that we ask people to do with their strategies is to be scientists around those strategies you know to make sure that they're not you know using spirituality for example as an escape route um, that It's you're really aware that that spiritual practice is supporting you in having good well-being and building good relationships and making the best decisions. So, um, you know, from my perspective, um, all religions, all spiritual traditions um, can apply emotional intelligence in ways that um, make the most sense for them.
6: Thank you so much. I really like it. I think that that's like the concept of being able to integrate you know, every sense of self, the energy, the frequency of the universe, all of the things that people will speak to. um, And it's been studied in so many different experts and thought leaders along, you know, all the way back to Old Testament concepts of Judaism. And so I think it's just, it's so powerful to see how it can play together. And I just don't know that, do you have any specific resources where you feel like this has been studied, this specific topic in spirituality and emotional intelligence?
2: You know there's not a lot of empirical research on this um there is good empirical research to show that people who have a spiritual practice tend to be slightly have greater well-being and healthier relationships so that's that's really really clear um but on this you know if you add in you know um like are people who are more spiritual more skilled at reading people's emotions um truth is i haven't seen that research done yet so maybe now Mm. i can launch another study
6: (laughs) yes i like it
3: call me i like to participate so cool thanks all
2: right yeah
3: mark i want to uh wish you lashana Tova, and i also want to pass the mic over to tara and then i'm going to look for mic flashes from the lower half of the stage as well i see daniel and i see tiff and nuna uh after tara
5: Thank you, Sarah. Mark, this is incredible. And uh, I'm listening to you. And ironically enough, my top three values are compassion, empathy, and spirituality. And Anybody who knows me well knows that I live in the emotional intelligence world. And it's kind of like my lifeblood um, throughout my journey. And so what it's taught me, though, is this, there's this huge factor in this key of self-awareness, right? It's that stop and that pause before the reaction. And don't I might screw this quote up, but it was Victor uh, Franklin or Frankel, sorry, that mentioned the between the stimulus and the response. There's that space, right? That space that, you know, we have the power to choose in our response. And if someone disagrees with me, I respect their opinion and I prefer to understand them rather than to judge and criticize them. So, my question to you is how important is it? um, Would you agree that that stop and that pause, that self awareness is key to emotional intelligence? Thanks so much, Mark.
2: Yeah, thank you. So I know that quote very well, and um, you got it 80%, so congratulations. <laughs> um, it's um, in that space lies our growth and freedom, right? That's that last piece. And I couldn't agree more. Um, so importantly, you know, one thing that I say, and I write about this in my book a lot, is that there are multiple pathways to achieving emotional wellness and health. Breathing exercises and mindfulness is one piece of it. Sometimes it can be um, overrated. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, sometimes that pause, right? We need to take that breath to deactivate our nervous systems, but then we need some extra kind of strategies in there. And in my book, um, Tara, I talk about this tool that we've, we call the meta moment. And the meta moment is a four step process that we've studied to help people use that space wisely. And so the first step is the obvious. It's like being aware of that trigger, you know, um, and those triggers can be anything. You know, it's for me, it's an entitled student or it's, you know, my partner, you know, putting too much salt, you know, <laughs> at dinner, whatever it might be. We all get Every All of us have these wacko, idiosyncratic things that drive us nuts, right? Um, and so you're activated. And then you pause and you take that breath. And then while you're kind of deactivating, we show people how to activate their best self. And this goes back to the tar- to the values that you mentioned, compassion, um, uh, spiritual. And so when you see yourself in that space as being the compassionate, empathic, spiritual person, all of a sudden your attention moves away from the trigger and moves toward your values. And when you regulate your emotions with your values in mind, you tend to use more helpful strategies, um, which over the long term is going to help you have greater well-being and build better relationships. So I would encourage everyone to take a moment even here right now and ask yourself the qualities of your best self. You might think of it like this. My best self has these qualities, fill in the blank. You might think of it like this. I want to be seen. I want to be talked about. I want to be experienced as someone who has these qualities. And if you can build that space between that trigger and typical reaction and take that breath and activate your best self, I think great things can happen.
5: Thank you, Mark. That was absolutely what I was looking for. And I I hope everybody wrote that down and heard that because I don't think there's been a greater time right now during the pandemic where we need to be really compassionate for other people and hold that space and take that pause. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Dora Marie. Thank you, Glenn Sarah. This is an amazing segment. Thank you so much.
3: Absolutely. So I want to be respectful of Mark's time today. I know everyone has a question. I believe I said um, Daniel, Tiff, Nuna, and Susie. We'll see if we can get you all in in the next 10 minutes. Go for it, Daniel.
2: Uh, I just want to say that Mark literally, you know, um, what he shared was exactly what I was going to go for. Uh, But I just want to really show my appreciation for that because I've been just sitting here taking notes and it's so all the fact that we can uh, breathe deep, and uh, you know communicate more with each, other, with each other, especially in the pandemic. It's very very important. But um, Mark, what what would you say would be the um the um, the best breathing techniques to actually use? Because I've I've used some myself. But which would you advise? I'm and then I'm complete. Um, I appreciate the question, and you know I don't want to be the knower of the best strategy because I think different strategies work best for different people. Um, I want to just encourage flexibility and um, lots of exposure. I just want to also say, I have the real big honor of collaborating. Um, so if you you can check out, we have an app called the You just it's in the iTunes, it's in iTunes and Android. But um, in collaboration with the CEO of Pinterest, Ben Silberman, um, we are releasing a new app in the coming months that will. Um, be an emotional wellness app that we have spent two years building that i'm very excited about that will have built-in strategies including six um breathing exercises that we have found through research to be highly effective for people and so um either the one that i like the most um if and again, this depends on you know what's happening in my mind at the moment. If I'm really kind of all over the place, like my, I just can't focus. And sometimes I'll just breathe in and out, doing diaphragmatic breaths, and just count my breaths, just to help my. You know, your brain can't focus on too many things at once, and so if you support your brain in focusing on counting, all of a sudden, you know, you will stop. You can stop worrying and just. Be focusing on breathing in and say one and breathing out and say two and just do slow breaths, a couple seconds in, a couple seconds out. I'll give you one more that's my absolute favorite. I learned this breathing exercise and mindfulness exercise on a retreat with TikTok Han back 30 years ago. And it's a phrase that I use and I repeat to myself. I breathe in and I say in, and then I breathe out and I say out. I breathe in and I say deep. I breathe out and I say slow. I breathe in and I say calm. I breathe out and I say ease. I breathe in and I smile. I breathe out and I say release. So it's in, out, deep, slow, calm, ease, smile, release. And I have to tell you, for me, it produces everything that I need to feel more at ease and I'm having trouble falling asleep, it's my go-to.
3: That's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful. Um, I don't know if you know, but breakfast with champions is also a podcast. Every one of our segments is an episode. So this will be available as a podcast episode. And I feel like I'm going to go back and re listen to that. Um, so that I can, um, have that breathing exercise. That was really beautiful.
4: Tiff over to you, my friend. Hi, good morning. This is Tiff with the, with the pink bubblegum gum down below. My question is, our son has struggled with depression, but mm-hmm. never recognized it. He, he's 28, and he just admitted last week we were in Yellowstone. At 10 o'clock at night, and he messaged us and just said that he wants help. And we don't know where to go for, to get him help. And when we went to talk to him in the morning when we got his text, he's like, no, I'm fine now. We know he's been struggling with depression for so long, so for him to recognize that was huge. My question is, what would be your advice of somebody who they recognize in themselves that they are depressed, but yet now he's he's not wanting the help. He doesn't he doesn't even know where to turn and he thinks he's okay again, but we know he's not. Do you yeah. have any suggestions?
2: Well, uh, you know, I think doing, you know, having him learn some things, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a shameless self promoter here, but reading a book like mine can be very eye opening and comforting for someone like him. But also, um, I think, you know, this is an interesting piece that you're bringing up, which is that in parenting, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we, we do validate we, you know, um, but then all of a sudden when our child says, everything's okay, we think, oh, good, everything's fine. I can move on. I don't have to pay attention to this anymore. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be fully, you know, present and supportive of him because you don't know if he's telling you that he's fine because he just doesn't want to bother you because, A, he's afraid because of a variety of reasons. And so what I suggest is that, you know, at a convenient time over breakfast, over lunch, over dinner, um, when you're together, um, you start having the conversation about therapy, about resources. I'm on the um, advisory board of the Mental Health Coalition. Um, I highly recommend going to that website um, because it's, it's the whole idea behind that work I'm doing. It's with Kenneth Cole, the designer and others, um, is to help people reduce the stigma around mental health and um, you know when people see me now as a 52 year old professor I'm on stage going keynote addresses at conferences and I say that I had an eating disorder as a teenager and then I had clinical depression and anxiety people don't believe it because they don't see it in me and so um, I just want to encourage you that again, What's on the outside, what people say may not be what's happening on the inside. And so I would do everything you can to just obviously be there and um, and at the right time, you know, when sometimes it's good to do it. Like, you know, you're on, you're taking a walk together or you're out for dinner or you're having breakfast and just broach the conversation in a way that feels safe um, and take it from there. That would be my advice.
4: Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. And yes, I will, I will do everything you just said because we know he's not okay. We know he's very um, just really struggling with depression and for him to admit it was huge. And we told him we will help and get him all the help we need. We That's didn't, right. we, we didn't use the word therapy, but we told him we would pay for anyone to come and just talk with him so that he doesn't feel like he's a victim, you know, or feeling worse. Yes. Okay. No That's one's a victim. Is so d- d-
2: no one, is, d- please, d- that mindset needs to be kind of like, this is the problem that we have in our society. You know, we equate strength and success um, with, you know, not having any mental health challenges. And we just need to understand that those things do not have to be related at all. Um, you can be extraordinarily successful um, and still suffer, with mental health challenges, and um, but when we define success, I think we want to define success as personal success, you know, and well-being. And so everyone should have the right in life to achieve their dreams. And it's our goal to help lift people up and find the supports and the strategies, you know, that will work best for them.
3: This is Sarah thank Tiff. Thank you for sharing your heart and your story with us. Mark, we're so grateful that you came to pour into us today. I can't believe how this hour has flown by. It's already 959. I have so many messages and DMs. I see Glenn. Glenn, did you want to jump back in for a second?
1: No, I was just agreeing with you in the in the space of gratitude. This has been really, really, really incredible and I too am incredibly grateful that Mark chose to spend this uh, spend this time with us and share this space.